And, uh, you know, we, we get excited whenever there's a partnership because it's a sign that there's growth in the church. And, um, you know, like a tree, if a tree is not growing, a tree is dying. So uh, we love to see growth. But more importantly, besides the church being filled, it's Christ being formed in you. We'd be even more ecstatic and overjoyed to see you being discipled and growing in the Lord. Amen. So just for a few moments, I want to talk about the church, the church's vision. I'm going to split my message to two parts. Uh, and then when I'm done, I'm going to invite all our new families and friends uh, to come up to the front while we pray for you. And I'm sure Zoe has some nice uh, gifts and chocolates in those gift bags. Please, family, pray for my wife. Um, I found a two liter of Coke in the fridge yesterday. You know, Satan's juice. <laughs> and I couldn't resist myself. So please uh, remember the Elliot family. Turn with me, would you, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. When you're there, please give me an amen. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from verses 10. Speaking of Christ, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus says, He who descended is also the one who has ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all in all. He rose a conqueror more than a conqueror, scripture tells us. And the Bible says in verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, emphasis being on some. Because <laughs> everybody wants to be an evangelist. Everybody wants to be a tele-evangelist, but they don't, don't hurry to be a tele-evangelist because they tell on the evangelist. <laughs> he gave some, not everyone, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, the apostles govern, the prophets guide, the evangelists gather, the pastors guard, and the teachers ground for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the saints are to be engaged to the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. No one left behind, no hoof left behind till we all come to the unity of the faith and of a knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. The truth must be spoken in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every joint must supply. According to the effective working which every part does its share. Every part must do its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Amen. 
the first time we have the reference of the right hand of fellowship we have in Galatians chapter 2 and Paul says this he says that James John and Cephas had given me the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel so when we speak of the right hand of fellowship we are not only speaking about being invited into a fellowship and into a partnership but we are also speaking about being entrusted with the good news because Paul says when I received the right hand of fellowship it was for the purpose of sharing the gospel to the Gentiles so this morning when you receive the right hand of fellowship we are affirming and establishing a partnership a fellowship and that we are in agreement with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ amen thank you for those who have decided to commit to the church like Clinton always says thank you for not dating the church yeah. <laughs> yo imagine if I dated away seven years I mean after six months she was like hey Baba when when you're putting a ring on it <laughs> I'm like hey calm down <laughs> slow down <laughs> thank you for not dating the local church we live in an age where people are very non-committal you won't believe it people especially post-covid are afraid to commit to anything they can get their meals spiritual means meals online they do their shopping online now they have their groceries delivered to their door and nobody wants to commit to a local church the local church is god's idea it's the doing of god for the display of God the local church is not the invention of a man you know we were in a service not so long ago where a well-known respected uh, preacher of the gospel lambasted and criticized the church for 45 minutes and I cringed and I said this is the bride of Christ how would you like it if someone criticized your spouse and brought accusation against your spouse the church is not perfect when you find the perfect church don't join it you'll spoil it yes there are few that abuse their power they are counterfeit preachers that have given the local church a bad rap but the church is still the plan of God and expression of Christ in the earth. You would not have the New Testament without the, new, the local church. Every letter was written for the purpose of passing it from local church to local church. Jesus referenced the church twice in Matthew. He referenced the church in Matthew chapter 16 where he said I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it he spoke to the universal church at large the big church pastor B likes to say there's a big church and there's a small church and in, in Matthew chapter 18 he made reference to the local church where he spoke about bringing 
disputes before the local church. So Christ endorsed the local church and he said, I will build my church. The small church is an expression of the big church, macro and micro. Christ said, I will build my church. And when he said that, he said, I'm taking primary responsibility for the church. I will build it. I won't build and construct edifices or buildings. That's not where I dwell. The church is his people. He, his most valuable resource. What is the purpose of the local church? The purpose of the local church is to continue to carry out and fulfill the Great Commission. The purpose of the church is to preach the gospel of the kingdom until he comes. The purpose of the church is to win souls because he who wins souls is wise. The purpose of the church is to disciple and grow the believer. The church exists as an expression of Christ. The church is and exists to mobilize the saints. The church exists to manifest the kingdom of God and the presence of God in the earth. The church exists to establish a community of faith because we cannot exist and grow as an island. We grow in community. There are two Greek terms that define the word church. The first one is konoina, which means fellowship, communion, community. It's the pledge of fellowship. It's more verb-like. It means to live out in a community. The second Greek term for church is the term ecclesia, which literally means the called out ones. But if you understand the etymology of, of the term and the history of the word, ecclesia carries the idea of a community in a neighborhood being called out from their homes to come to, a, to, to the city square to carry out and execute decisions on behalf of the, of the city. So when we refer, and when Jesus refers to the church being the ecclesia, the concept and idea he has is that we are the called ones. We've been called from darkness into light. And we've been called out for official business to execute the kingdom of God in the earth. At Rebirth, our vision is simple, is to advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Our mission, our mission is to win souls, to grow the believer, and to raise and release ministries and ministry teams. That is the mission statement of Rebirth. Bible says in Proverbs 7 that wisdom's house is built on seven pillars. Rebirth has seven pillars, seven value statements. First and foremostly, we are a house of prayer. Because if we're not praying, we're straying. If the pastor is not praying, the pastor is playing. Prayer is the great work. We must be a house of prayer. And our dream and, and, and the burden of our hearts as, as a fellowship is that one day our prayer meetings will be more full than these Sunday meetings. We are not only a house of prayer, we are a worshippers retreat because he seeks true worship. 
he seeks true worship. This must be a fountain where we can come and worship without interruption. We are a society of Bereans because Paul said when he met the Bereans, they were more noble than all the other believers because they didn't just gobble what he preached and taught. No, 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 no. The Bereans went home and searched the scriptures to see whether what Paul taught, even the mighty anointed Paul, who had signs, wonders, and miracles follow him. They went home and searched the scriptures to see if it was so. And we want a Bible-reading church. More than the shouts and screams, we want to hear the pages flip in a Sunday morning service. And our desire is that you go home and you develop a personal relationship with the Word of God because it's not good enough to be under the Word. You have to be in the Word for yourself. Second-hand revelation won't save you. You've got to have a first-hand encounter with the truth. It's the truth you know and are acquainted with that sets you free. We are a Samaritan outreach. We are an army to the community. We, we are moved with compassion. That should be our heartbeat. And Dean mentioned this in his offering talk. There should be no one, no one who is at a disadvantage if we are at an advantage. That means no one should go hungry in this fellowship. You don't be shy. You WhatsApp me. You message me. It's the way. You let us know if there's a need. Uh, I'm not saying now you must finance your vehicle or <laughs> I'm saying basic needs. You don't have a roof over your head, you don't have food to whatever it is, let us know. Don't suffer in silence. We are a family of disciples because Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. The mark of discipleship is not the preaching and not the signs and the wonders. It is the mark of love. Amen. We are a prophetic company because the Bible says those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit. And we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And lastly, our seventh pillar is that we are fishers of men. Because following Jesus is a fishy business. We fish men. We are winners of souls. It is not the primary responsibility for the church to be holding open airs and, and, and crusades and filling our stadiums. No. It is the primary responsibility of every one of you to be a soul winner. Every one of you. It must be in our DNA and culture. When we're at the grocery store, when we're standing in the queue, Tammy at Sunshine, we must be preaching the gospel and winning souls at every turn. Hallelujah. Amen. At this time, I would like to welcome our families. Give them a hand as they come forward. Before I go on and preach. Okay. You can stand. I'm going to call up the Donnelly family, Chad, Fallantasia, the Singh family, Asamara, sorry, uh, Nadine, Alden, Carla. I'm also going to call up the Crotz family, Lee, Janique, Luan, Lee, Jordan, Lamiga. Hey, you guys got your soccer team names. <laughs> <laughs> the Lebron family, Inga, Gia, and uh, our brother Marlon. Amen. Thank you so much. As a way, if you could just hand out these uh, certificates, please. Thank you so much.
Can we just stretch out our hands towards them? I'm going to pray for each and every single one of you, and then I'm going to extend my, my right hand in fellowship. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful moment where we get to welcome families into our fellowship. Thank you for their commitment. Thank you for their love for the ministry. I pray above all else that they would grow where they planted. And through this decision, their businesses, their employment situation, their homes and families will become strong and, and grounded on the rock which is Christ. Your goodness and mercy would follow them. They're growing this house. And Lord, you'd help us to be committed to you as a ministry in the teaching of your word, in loving them and not hurting them. And Lord, being able to also share the truth in love. Lord, I pray you just bless them, cover them, let them experience growth, your favor in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says amen. 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 Welcome amen. to the Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. And the Sunday school is Christmas. You want to give the presents? Okay. 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 Okay, okay books. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much. Marlon's been furniture, though, eh? <laughs> Thank you, Marlon. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Amen. Sunday school, you are discharged. Okay, perfect. Uh, do you know, can you just lower this for me? It's a little bit, yeah. It's a little bit, maybe. It's, um, yeah. Thanks. Well, yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> okay, the uh, lights might dim out in a few minutes. I think uh, the light, the power's coming back on. Okay, we've been on a generator for all this time. Uh, family, let's get straight into our message. Uh, we are continuing with our series on friendology. It's our relationship series. I'm not going to be long. I promise to try and be 20 minutes at most. Uh, Zoe will be my timekeeper. Turn with me to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and get your pinky on Psalm 68. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Last week we spoke about the importance of, of being a friend of God. And this week our subject is family matters. First Corinthians 13, reading from verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. <laughs> and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, 
but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, nor does it seek its own. Love is not provoked and thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know as I am also known. And now abides faith, love, and hope. But the greatest of these three is love. Psalm 68 verse 6, just the first part, Bible says God sets the solitary in families. Amen. Amen. God is for the family. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. I feel and sense your presence so strongly here this morning. Help us, Lord, to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to our hearts. Anoint our ears, anoint your preacher this morning. Help us, Lord, not to be hearers of your word only, but doers also in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen and Amen. Amen. God is for the family. And when you read the book of Genesis and you get a summary of, of how God formed and created the universe and world, You'll see that on day one, God said, let there be light. And there was light. We see in day two, God created the sky and the firmament. We see on day three how God creates the land and the sea and how he creates trees and plants. In day four, we see how he creates the heavenly bodies, the sun, the stars, the moon. And day five, we see him create the creatures of the sea, the whales, the fish, the sardines. We see how he creates the fowls to fill the air, the doves, the eagles, the hardy doves. <laughs> and then we see on day six how he forms and makes the animals. But in his love for humanity, he doesn't just speak man into existence. He says, with this project, I want to give it a personal touch. And so God stoops down from his balcony, gets his toes into the dirt and clay, and forms and fashions for himself a man from the clay. And he looks at this man and he breathes into man the breath of life. And that's why Job exclaimed that it is the breath of the Almighty that has given me life. The Spirit of God has made me. And man, Adam becomes a living soul as God kisses into him the breath of life. 
And Adam is given the command to be fruitful, to, to multiply and, and to have dominion over the earth. And so Adam goes day by day naming the animals. And, and Adam is aware that every animal is coupled. Each species has a pair. And God sees that, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God says, I'm going to make a suitable helper for him. And in what seems to be the last crowning act of creation, God decides to form the woman. He takes a piece of Adam's rib because the rib out of your whole anatomy regenerates very quick. So he takes a piece of his rib and forms the woman. And Adam looks at the woman and says, Whoa, man. <laughs> looks at the species. And so God, in all his creative acts, he leaves the crowning act to form the woman. So the woman becomes the pinnacle of creation. The woman becomes a force of nature. That intuitive, integrative, emotional being becomes the last crowning act of God's creative workings. And then God establishes the institutes of marriage. He brings them together and he says, for this reason will a man leave his father and mother to be joined to a woman and the two shall become one, one flesh. At the very foundation of civilization, at the very founding of society, God establishes the marriage. Marriage stands alone as the cornerstone of civilization. The nation fails and suffers because society suffers. And society suffers because the community suffers. And the community suffers because the home suffers. And the home suffers because the marriage suffers. Marriage was God's big idea. Society rises and falls on this establishment, on the institution of marriage. Doesn't matter what storms can bombard a home, it doesn't matter what assaults that Satan can launch on a family, but if that marriage is intact, if that marriage is solid and grounded and solidified on the foundation of Christ, that home will stand the test of time. <laughs> marriage is foundational. Marriage was laid down from the beginning of time. Marriage is foundational. And if you understand foundations, Foundations have many purposes, but there's two main purposes I want to highlight for you. Foundations support the structure. Marriage supports the family. Marriage supports the community. 
Foundations also prevent shifting and movement. If the marriage is grounded, it doesn't matter what winds blow. Can be a financial storm, can be sickness, disease. The enemy can throw what he wills. But if the marriage is strong, the home is strong. Foundations insulate a home and prevent critters from coming in. God and protect your marriage. Your marriage is the doing of God for the display of God in the earth. Marriage wasn't designed for comfort because God's not interested in your comfort. God is not interested in the provision of comfort. He is interested in the production of character. And Pastor B, in our marriage counseling, would always remind us marriage is a crucible where hot metals are heated and liquidized and turned and churned. It gets hot in marriage. I remember you know, just being a you know, young preacher and quoting the Bible, and I would always have these fancy ideals about what marriage is and what marriage should be like. And, you know, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But hey, man, there were days I said, I'm not sleeping in this bed, I'm not sleeping on the couch. <laughs> hey, this woman drove me crazy. God gave you, you your spouse, for two reasons. It was to support you, to be a support, a helpmeet, and God gave you your spouse to address your toxicity. Hey, I was worried about saying that word. <laughs> God gave you your spouse to address your dysfunction. You're not always right. Nobody's going to give you a better perspective of who you are than your spouse, yes. than your husband, or than your wife. If your wife is saying, hey, hey, hubby, that shirt, nah, you, you're forcing it. <laughs> Don't go out there and say, Yo, your wife is cramping your style. <laughs> your partner helps shape your perspective. Nobody's going to tramp on your toes like the person you dance close with. But your marriage is designed to be a Christ-like making tool and help grow you and address all your deficiencies. Now one of the things I want to say about relationships is that while, and it's so important, while we're in church and in the context of church, it's so important that while we're growing in our relationship with God and we're falling in love with Jesus and we begin, you know, we start quoting more scriptures and, and we mark the attendance register and we're the man and woman of God. It's so important that we do not become unhinged from the way we treat each other, yeah. especially our families. 
The moment you try to become spiritual apart from loving your family, your husband and wife, is the moment you start to become self-righteous. And self-righteousness is the worst disease you can ever have. Self-righteousness will give you a false sense of security. You know, walking around like you have cash in your pocket. You know, one brother, um, old brother that likes to try and siphon me for, for money. <laughs> well, he's trying to siphon for money. He messaged me and said, hey, man, uh, I, I need so much money. Uh, I went to the garage and I'm stuck here and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, you knew you had no money. <laughs> you knew. But don't walk around like you have you have what you don't have. And when you become self-righteousness, you develop a false sense of security that everything's fine between you and God. How can you love God whom you don't see and hate your brother whom you see? When Jesus was asked about what's the greatest commandments in Scripture, he says this, this too. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because that cross, that symbol of love, is a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. And when, and when Paul would address every, every church he would address, you will find this in almost every single one of his letters, he would always open up with the same greeting. He says, beloved, I thank you. Uh, for your faith towards God and your love towards the saints. We've heard of your faith towards God and your love towards the, the saints or the church. He said it over five or six times in his letters because your faith in God is expressed in your love towards others. Marriage and relationships must be built on two things and we read that in Ephesians chapter 4, it must be built on love and it must be built on the truth. Now, when we speak about marriage and relationships being built on truth, there's various nuances here. First of all, you need to be honest with your partner and you need to be honest with yourself. Second of all, building a relationship on truth means that there must be a foundation of respect. And lastly, building a relationship on truth means you're building a relationship on the principles of God, on the word of God. In other words, you're building on the principle of forgiveness. You're building on the principle of trust. You're building on grace. You're building on the, on the basis of, of sharing gracious words. You're building on the principles of God's word. No relationship, no marriage will survive if you don't develop a friendship in your marriage. And last week we spoke about, um, you know, becoming a friend of God. And this week, uh, just very briefly, I want to say that if your marriage is going to survive the toughest of, of, of turns and storms, you have to become friends in your relationship you have to guard your friendship you have to build your friendship in other words you spend time together 
You support each other's interests. You respect each other's feelings. You know? You dream together. Have dreams together. When was the last time you and your partner just went out, just the two of you? No kids. You know when there's kids involved, it becomes a different dynamic. Yeah? When was the last time you spent time together alone without the screams and screeches of kids? When else have you left the comfort of your home? For goodness sakes, even if you sit at KFC, <laughs> you don't have to go to Rose Bank and all these fancy restaurants. When was the last time you all did something together? Nine out of ten times, we struggle in relationships because we don't develop a friendship. <coughs> Believers in relationships and in families are held to a higher standard. You are held to a higher code. In other words, it's not okay to slap your husband and punch your husband. It's not okay to beat your wife. It's not okay to disrespect your spouse and to put them down and to curse them and so it, it is not okay. You will be held accountable for it. You bring shame on God's institution of family and marriage when you disrespect your covenant partner. Peter said it this way in one of his letters. He said, Brethren, don't hinder your prayers. Because if things are not right between husband and wife, God don't even want to hear your, your cries. Go and leave your gift at the altar. And go and make peace with your spouse. Make things right in the marriage first. So that the marriage can uphold the family structure. Guard your marriage from abuse. Guard your marriage from substance abuse. Guard your marriage from pornography, from third parties. Guard your marriage from alcohol abuse. Guard your marriage from even the interference of outsiders or insiders. Protect your marriage against all costs. Because marriage upholds the family structure. And while we're on the family structure, it's important that within the family structure, there's love and truth <laughs> that you're building on love and truth in other words and i say this to my kids the mother of all virtues in our home is respect before i even want your love <laughs> i want your kisses and you know your love notes and your heart i want respect because respect is an expression of love so parents respect each other because your children are watching children honor and respect your parents 
I don't care if it's your stepdad, your stepmom, you show respect. I don't know, I don't think they're breeding kids the same these days, but you know me, when I was growing up in the 80s, I'm an 80s kid, I'm not an, I'm a 2000, man. In the 80s, sure, we got beaten left, right, and center. My granny worked, my palm through was, was blue, and she broke so many wooden spoons, my uncles would eat us. We get to the woodwork class, Mr. Werner would beat the living daylights out of us. Uh, the one day, Grenville was being naughty, and in the woodwork class, and uh, Mr. Werner comes in and there's this racket in the class, this noise, and he walks in, he says not a word, he was this short Napoleon looking man, and he walked straight into the woodwork, uh, you know, machinery uh, section of the, the classroom, and oh, Greville and I heard, Greville will tell you I'm not lying, oh, we are the man is cutting him for himself to hit us, he came out there, and pardon, pardon the language, he lined us all up. He said, you're making Mr. Warner a bloody fool. <laughs> and he broke so many planks on us that day. But guess what? We still pitched up to class the next day. <laughs> the children today have no tolerance. I mean, if your parents give you a hiding, you want to go and throw a huge tantrum. If you only know what we've been through. You want to run away from home and... Go and start your own family. <laughs> Respect. Respect is the cornerstone of all virtues. If they respect you, respect them. If they disrespect you, still respect them. Don't allow the actions of others to decrease your manners. You show respect nonetheless because you respect in your home the bible says honoring your parents whether it doesn't matter whether your home's blended or not okay is the first commandment with promise okay and to honor your parents and your elders means to show them respect to show them that you value them and simply to be respectful love and truth must exist in harmony family it's important that we strengthen the marriage and we strengthen our relationships and that we strengthen the home and i'm not going to go any further but just encourage you by remind you that god is for the family god's for your marriage Marriage was his idea, his big idea. In 2017, I think Stats South African Home Affairs released stats to say that marriage has been on the decline. Less and less people are getting married. And more marriages are breaking up. But my wife and I, we try our best. We're not perfect. Just like the church is not perfect. Just like no marriage is perfect. I don't care how the pastor glows in the dark. The marriage is, is never always smooth. But there's a few things we've agreed on. We agree on respect. We never, and I, and I said, we never, ever, I don't care how rough it gets, use the word divorce. Never. We don't use the D word. No. It doesn't exist. You know? 
Uh, I always joke about uh, running off with a guy with a six-pack, uh, <laughs> Pakistani guy with a six-pack. <laughs> and I say, hey, I'll still come stalk you. Eh? <laughs> but family, our love towards God must be expressed in our love towards one another. Okay? Cut yourself some slack. Agree on some fundamental principles. Bring the marriage in tight. Lock it down. Be a united front to your kids. Be a, don't let your kids see the division and schisms. Okay? You need to be strong. You need to respect each other. Okay? And you model that for your family. Because what one generation does in moderation, the next will do in excess. If you insult your partner, your kids are observing this. Now, what they'll do in their generation is not insult their pastors, they'll insult, insult with a club. Because what one generation does in moderation, the next in excess. So you've got to model such a high standard for your family. Because they learn by observation. Trust me, they learn by observation. Remember that one time we had the harpist here and, and Maddie and Layla were doing their ballet routine and uh, you know it was a nice dance you know <laughs> trying to get Dean and Greenville and Keenan to do a spiritual dance first and we went home and a week later a week later the same song that the pianist was playing uh, Yeshua played on YouTube and all of a sudden we saw the twins dancing <laughs> because Everyone's watching, family. The world is watching. Lock it down. Lock it down. Lock the marriage down. I know it's rough. I know it gets hot. But just keep your hands behind your back and put a bridle on your tongue and love by respect and love by love. And because for goodness sakes, take your wife out on a date. <laughs> take your kids out on a play date. Do something, anything, something, man, anything. <laughs> Come, let's stand. <laughs> let's stand. Let's stand.